Thank you, Bishop Mark and Heidi. It's absolutely lovely to be with you all this evening. I was here last week and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, really great to, to be here. Um, I've really enjoyed prayerfully reading through Stephen Cottrell's next couple of chapters and um, have been busy thinking and praying um, and uh, thinking about what to share with you and to stimulate our thinking this evening. So I um, hope you've enjoyed your reading as well and very much looking forward to this journey together. In a moment, I'll pray for us, um, but just before I do, um, just to say that Heidi in a moment will be playing some opening worship for us. It's a really beautiful song that some of you may know. It's a chant from the Teze community, and it's called Jesus, Remember Me When You Come Into Your Kingdom. And one of the reasons I chose this particular film for us to watch is I wouldn't be surprised if this week, as you've been reading and thinking about the cross, the crown of thorns, the seamless robe, this cross that Stephen Cottrell is drawing our eyes towards, I wouldn't be surprised if in your imagination, you've been thinking quite a lot about that cross. You've been imagining Christ going towards and being on that cross. And so I think it's really lovely that this particular rendition of the Teze chant gives us lots of paintings and images of Christ on the cross so we can already begin to meditate on that image, uh, on that reality um, together this evening. So before that opening worship, let's just pray. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Lord, we pray, would you come by your Holy Spirit this evening and enable us to worship you. Lord, we pray, help us to see you. Help us to behold the cross. Help us by your spirit to edge just a little more towards an understanding and a living of what it means to have a crucified Lord. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive the word that you have prepared for us to receive this evening and in the company of this body of Christ for which we give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And so now let us gaze on the cross while we ask our Lord to remember us when he comes into his kingdom.
old I went on a brownies visit to some ancient caves. As part of the tour we were asked to place our hands into boxes and we couldn't see what was inside. It was partly a trust game and it was partly about learning to identify things by how they feel when you touch them. Could we guess what was in the box? The leaders asked for two volunteers, two brave souls, 
to be the first to put their hands into the boxes. And we watched as one friend cautiously did and then began to describe to us something soft, smooth, rounded and cold, a skull. She guessed rightly, an animal skull retrieved from the depths of those very ancient caves. Then another friend, the second volunteer, put her hand into the second box and then let out the most almighty scream. She brought her hand out fast, clutched it to her chest and began to cry loudly. The box was filled with holly. To this day, I don't know why. And she had run her finger straight onto a prickle and it razored down between her nail and the nail bed. Even at only 10 years old, I remember thinking what a silly and dangerous thing to have put in a box. How could it not cause pain, even agony to someone? Briars, thorns hurt. That's a guarantee. It's what they're designed to do. The plant protects itself by searing the flesh of any inquirer, by triggering a billion shooting nerve pains, by keeping the world away. They made him a crown of thorns because he had said that he was a king. As Stephen Cottrell calls us to see, it was a very cruel joke. He says he's a king, does he? All right then, we'll make him a crown. What will hurt? What will make torture out of this crowning? And they scour around, bending their God-given skill and imagination to the careful work of designing agony. They find the naked briar, they take something that is designed to reject the world. They take the stark fruit of the flowerless winter. They take something as thick and gnarled and the most, as the most grief-resisting, grief-battered heart. And they drive it, no doubt pressing down and in as hard as they can for the mere moments their own hands can bear it. They drive it onto his head, pressing hard for a good fit. The thorns must have met his skull. The world pierces Christ, the one who does not protect himself over and over again. Pierces his head, pierces his hands, pierces his feet, pierces his flesh with metal loaded flailing ropes, pierces his side with a spear. The blood, like the red seas of Exodus, pulses in stripes down to his eyes, where it stings. And this is our king. This is the world's king. One thing about God is that his meaning is inexhaustible. We never get to the end of him. Think you've grasped him, understood him, and he escapes your reasoning as his beauty and wildness and mystery eludes you. 
You think you've caught him and he recedes from you. Jesus of Nazareth was often slipping away somehow through crowds that tried to clutch him. God is always greater and larger and further and wilder than we can imagine, think or expect. And this means that the spirit can always show us something new. And this week, reading Stephen Cottrell's meditation, I was really struck by something, something Cottrell asks us to see, and that I don't think I'd seen before. He writes, The crowds taunt. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. But how could he come down? The cross that he carries is his throne. He is reigning from the tree. It was that last bit that really caught my attention. But how could he come down? The cross that he carries is his throne. He is reigning from the tree. The cross that he carries is his throne. This felt strange. It felt new. I was confronted with a new idea, a new way of seeing the work of God on this cross in front of me. This much felt familiar, that here on this cross, Jesus is becoming king as he takes all the world's rebellion and sin upon himself in order to overcome and overthrow it. Here on this cross, there are two kingdoms at war, an almighty visible and invisible battle is taking place on this cross before us. But Cottrell says something more. He says not only that Jesus is king on this cross, but that this cross is his throne, his throne. What might that mean? I don't know about you, but when I think of Jesus's throne, I see his throne in heaven. I see him seated as he is in this very moment at the right hand of the Father, our ascended Lord. I also see that throne that I am longing for him to occupy here on earth as our returning king and judge who has promised to reign visibly on earth as everything is recreated through him. A throne in heaven, a throne in the renewed creation, but the cross as a throne. So I've been wondering, there's been wrestling in the vicarage this week, um, I've been wondering and I wonder, will you wonder with me, about what it might mean to say that the cross Jesus carries is his throne. You may be familiar as I was with how Jesus came to have King of the Jews written above his head on his cross. I was aware that Pilate had ordered it to be written as another sickening joke. Yes, very likely inspired by the soldiers to continue their pantomime. I was aware that when the joke came to the ears of the religious leaders, they happened to find it a lot less funny. By that point, it had turned like souring wine from a joke to an irony. The high priest is enraged. Is there no end to this man and his claims? Is there no ending of this man and his claims? Bad enough that words like king and God and saviour waft on the air around him wherever he goes like a wind you just can't catch. But now having got him stopped, 
it's as if some invisible power is still finding its way to say that this man Jesus is Lord. Blast it. Now it says on the cross itself, another 11th hour sign, the King of the Jews. Change it, the high priest demands, right just before it, this man said, I am the King of the Jews. This man said, qualify it, caveat it, reduce it, diminish it, subjectivize it, personalize it. No, too late, says Pilate, fed up with the whole charade. I've written what I've written. And so, says Cottrell, there is Jesus wearing a crown nailed to his throne, king of everything in existence. And this is the bit I don't think I'd seen so clearly before. I'd seen the irony that this attempt at a joke actually tells the truth. But now, because of what's happening, here is more than even irony. It's more than irony that's taking place here. It's a fact that is taking place here. Perhaps this really is the enthroning of the Son of God. This crown isn't a mock crown. It is his crown. This cross isn't a mock throne. It is his throne. The purple robe isn't a mock robe. It is his robe. This is what a crown looks like. This is what a throne looks like. As we stand under the cross, are we actually gazing at the coronation of Jesus Christ as Lord of all creation? This is what it looks like to be king of this world. And I find myself remembering a haunting phrase. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, this is not to glorify horror. This is not to say that there is some positive equation between torture and despair as such, and justice and joy. As Cottrell writes, both God and man are forsaken in this emptying out of love. But here's the mystery. This is all about the work of God. Faith is always about what God has done and is doing for us on our behalf. Even faith itself is a gift from God. It's not something we could ever conjure for ourselves. And here at the cross, it's again all about the work of God. It's about what God does with and through these awful things. This is the king reaching out. This is the king taking hold. This is the king plunging the depths. This is the king reigning from where we put him. As Jesus himself said in a parable, parable after parable, in fact, the son, the inheritor, will come to his father's vineyard and the tenants will seize him and drag him outside the vineyard and kill him. The inheritor is reigning from the tree. This world is his vineyard. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, when I am lifted up, lifted up has two meanings. When I am exalted, raised like a king, when I am nailed to the cross, when I'm raised on the cross, it is one single movement, the raising of the cross, 
and the enthroning of God as creation's king. Why? Because this is God becoming king in a world in which we nail people to crosses. This is God becoming king in a world in which we do what we do to ourselves, to each other, to nature. We destroy, we grab, we fight, we hurt, we thrust, we weaponize, we resent, we reject, we crush. We turn away from the muffled cry, we pretend not to hear, we reduce others, whole people, whole expanses of creation to dust and to silence. We greedily spy and use our God-given skill to steal the things that strike our magpie eyes as beautiful, like that seamless robe. I want that. And we are oblivious to the shaking, numbing creature who shivers behind the sparkling object we consume, who pays the cost. For do we even know whose broken backs our dreams are built on? Do we ever dare to count the cost, to ask to see the map, to track the chain to the next chain, to the next chain, to the next chain, to the next chain, whole fallen systems, a vast architecture of death-dealing fishing nets. My kingdom is not from this world, says our tortured king. My kingdom is not from this world. At this bloody coronation, filled with sweat and screaming, heaven and the reign of God plunge down to the earth. Christ goes down, down, all the way down to the bottom of the pit. And his willingness to die is the beginning of death's undoing. It was once said that as Jesus died, Satan just gulped down another piece of promised flesh, opened his jaws to receive just another anonymous victim of his relentless hunger. Except that this time, for the first time ever, this piece of flesh stuck in his throat because he had accidentally swallowed the author of life. The destroyer had eaten life itself and now it was he who was exploded. Here, brothers and sisters, is our king, the lord of everything in existence, coming to claim the life made through him, refusing to abandon us to the death we would make of ourselves and this world. Naked, his only possession is his father's promise that his love will raise him in the spirit. Resurrected, he will reign as the ascended son at the right hand of our father. In the future, he will reign as the returning Lord of this renewed creation. But our risen Lord will still bear the thorn scars and the nail scars on his head and hands and feet. Because here today, on this cross, enfolded in the darkest depths of our distorted world, here too he is crowned, he is enthroned, he is becoming king.
I'm not hidden There's never been a moment You were forgotten You are not hopeless Though you have been broken Your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your breath I hear your SOS, your SOS I will send out an army to find what it would mean for us to make those words our own. In that worship song, we hear the words of our Lord addressed to us from the cross, that there is no distance I will not cover to find you, that I will always be marching to reach you, that you will never be lost, that I hear the SOS you whisper under your breath that no one else hears. But we also hear the words that we are called by our Lord to say to others 
in this world as we take up our cross to follow him. So I wonder as we begin to bring this evening to a close, how much can we make those our words to people and situations in our world? How much can we say to others, I will never stop marching to reach you. I will always be searching to find you. There are some words in the ordinal, the liturgy that's used to ordain people in the Church of England, which is true of all of God's baptised people. The words that we are called to seek out those lost in the forgotten corners of the world. And it always strikes me that it's an active stance. It's not, I will help those who happen to come along my way. I will help those who happen to lap up on the shore of my life like an arriving tide, but I will go out of my way actively to seek out those who are in the forgotten corners of the world. Now to be equipped for that work, to take up that cross, we need to ask for the empowerment of the spirit and the blessing of God. So let us bow our heads to ask God's blessing. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. Lord, we thank you that in your scandalous generosity, even as we put you to death, your words for us in your dying breath were words of forgiveness, of love, of pardon, of restoration to relationship with our Father in heaven. And we pray now, Lord, that you would bless us to send us out to live just that ministry of reconciliation with the world, to make known your gospel in creation, and to call this world for which you have died to yourself. Lord, would you keep us and hold us forever? Brothers and sisters, may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest on you and all those who you love this night and forevermore. Amen.